Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the Lord's Day in the Lord's House. It is Labor Day. It is a beautiful time of the year, and before we know it, the leaves will be changing. You might even need a sweater in the morning, and maybe some of those little droppy things might come out of the sky pretty soon. I'm not sure. And certainly, it is a great time to worship God, and no better time than to come to the home church and be here for all the wonderful Opportunities, And for those of you that are online, I cannot think of a better time of the year to get in person. The wise Dr. Adrian Rogers once said, don't wait for six strong men to take you to church. <laughs> and I just want to remind you to get in. It is a great time of the year to be here. Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable today? Well, we ought to be. I mean, what a beautiful place. Nice soft seats, beautiful air conditioning, all the particulates getting zapped and all the viruses. You know, I mean, this is the safest place in San Joaquin County right here in church. And uh, it's dead sure safer than your house. That's a diseased place. And uh, people say, oh, I'm going to stay home. I'd be safer. <laughs> Trust me, you'll be a lot safer here. And uh, at any rate, I'm just so grateful that you're here. We're going to talk about comfort, but maybe not the comfortable feeling that we sometimes associate with being comfortable. Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get depressed? Well, there's no need for you to answer that question. I know you do because you're human, like I, we all get discouraged. A little boy was sitting sadly on the curb beside his lawnmower when along came a minister riding on his bicycle. He noticed the boy appeared to be a little discouraged and so he thought he would help. Hello there, said the pastor cheerfully. How would you like to trade that lawnmower for this bicycle? Well, sure, mister, the boy responded, and off he went on his merry way. A few days later, the boy and the minister crossed paths again. The pastor said, uh, hey, I think you took me on our trade. I keep cranking that old lawnmower, but it won't start. Well, you got to cuss it, the little boy said. The man said, well, I can't do that. I'm a preacher. I forgot about cussing a long time ago. The little boy answered, you just keep cranking on that lawnmower preacher and it'll come back to you. <laughs> the truth of the matter is we all get discouraged and we may want to cuss a little bit for sure. But today we're going to begin a new three-part series on the subject of comfort. Now that's the Bible term or consolation, as we'll read in the King James. But actually, it's all about encouragement. 
We're going to be examining nine amazing verses, and that's going to be the core of our series for the next three Sundays, today and two more, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're in those verses, ten different times God uses the word comfort or consolation. It just means God wants us to be encouraged. It is the greatest single passage on how to be encouraged. It is quite easy for all of us to get discouraged. Life's not easy. There are stresses that we face at home and work. And if that wasn't enough, the rampant evil that we see on every hand, the loss of our personal freedoms, the constant fear-mongering, and yet despite all of that, we're here today and we're laughing, we're singing, and we are encouraged. Why should we be encouraged? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I look forward to examining these verses. And uh, I just uh, want you to join with me as we pray together that God would give us uh, his mind and his heart. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, I'm so grateful to be with this group. And I love them and our online family, how we love each of them. God, would you just bless us on this Labor Day weekend? What a blessing, Lord, to see a good-sized group here, Lord, on this holiday weekend and with all the things that are going on in this country of ours. God, would you just give each one a blessing? Lord, my heart's already been just lifted. <laughs> my goodness. Thrilled, Lord. Thank you. Would you just encourage every heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now we are going to start with verse number 3. And uh, I would like you to join with me. We're going to read it out loud. So if you'll get your Bible out or you can uh, read it uh, on the overheads there. Or you can, if you're online, read it out loud. There's something about reading scripture out loud. Because then it not only goes into your mind, but it goes through your ear gate. And uh, God says there is a blessing for those who hear the word of God. So let's read the entire passage and uh, give us a kind of an overview and then we'll dissect it as we go along. Verse number three, we begin. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three. Now let's get all behind this here. Let's sing it out uh, Speak it out loud and clear. All right, ready, begin. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, 
insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Now, as you were reading through that, I'm sure you were catching some of the subject matter. Other parts of it may be a little confusing at first, and that's okay. I must admit, I was the same way. But as I have uh, read it again and again, as I've kind of developed an outline, I am just so encouraged and looking forward to this time. Now, before we consider how God brings comfort and what it means to us, we do need to understand this epistle, 2 Corinthians, and in particular, the background for this passage. The author of all scripture is the Holy Spirit. Now, pastors and commentators and others might say, Paul wrote this, David wrote this, you know, Job wrote this. But those that are Bible-believing literalists know that it was the Holy Spirit who wrote it. However, the Holy Spirit used human authors. He spoke to them. He spoke in them. And more importantly, he spoke through them. In that he spoke through their experiences. That's why many of the times we'll read a, a historical passage or something somebody said. And then the Holy Spirit uses that to present a truth. Wonderful thing about that is, is that because of the Holy Spirit is the author, we know it's true. Jesus affirmed that very fact in John 17 and verse 17. He said, thy word is true. So we have the validation of our Lord and Savior that the word of God, including the New Testament, is absolutely true. So 2 Corinthians then is Paul's defense. The Holy Spirit wrote it through Paul's experience. It's his defense of his personal integrity. It's a protection of the ministry for the sake of the sheep. And it is a vindication of the truth for its own sake. Now here is the lowdown, what was happening. On Sundays, Paul would come to the different congregations there in Corinth. He was visiting there. He was an apostle, which is a pastor, but it was uh, kind of a little bit even more than that. And he would uh, preach doctrine. He would preach the truth of God. The people would be blessed. Their hearts would be touched. They would be changed. They would go back home. Many of them to smaller villages. Some were slaves there in the area. And many of them would go back to their areas and go back to their neighborhoods. While they were there, they would begin hearing people talk. And so behind the scenes, there was a growing narrative that was being spun by some nasty, evil people. And frankly, and sadly, even some people who had been in the church and some people who were still in the church. Heartbreaking, because they were undermining Paul. He was also attacked by the local media, and I'm just kind of skirting through some of we. I'm giving you a, a whole bird's eye view of 2 Corinthians here. Some of the local media, 
Probably some of the celebrities were, you know, joining on the bandwagon as they often do. <clears throat> but day by day, his message was being undermined by evil people. Some of them were money hungry. Others were power grabbers. They had, in fact, left their Christless uh, Judaism. They had put Christ in their Judaism, but they had put Christ plus something. Yes, it's Jesus, but it's Jesus plus this, or it's Jesus plus that. And there are groups still that do that today. In their cockeyed doctrine, Jesus was good, but not good enough. Paul got wind of it. Being the faithful pastor and being the apostle that he was, he laid into that false doctrine. It made the false teachers squirm. They were not happy with Paul. And the more he bore down on them, the madder they got. And uh, they were like one person I read that said, some minds are like concrete, thoroughly mixed up and permanently set. <laughs> that was these false teachers. They were permanently set and they were so concrete in what they were thinking wrong, but they were going to make it happen. And so the first thing this demonic inspired group needed to do was to topple Paul from his trusted person status. In order to do that, they had to subvert him and defame him, to get him out of his watchtower because he was busy watching over his little chicklings. I mentioned not too long ago, I was at a golf course and these Canadian geese were there. They're not my favorite thing in the world, but I, it's always amazing to watch those little gooselings come up. But they are just busy pecking at the ground, getting worms and bugs and whatever else they eat. But mom and dad goose, now I don't know which is which because they all look the same to me, but mom and dad goose, you can tell they are watching over those gooselings. While the chicks are all down there just pecking away, the mom and dad goose, they are always watching. And they may be a goose, but if you come too close, they'll come after you. That was Paul. He was a daddy goose. And he was watching over his little gooselings, and you come near them, boy, he was after them. And that was Paul. He was saying, don't you dare mess with the minds and the doctrine of these people. He was a powerful communicator for Christ. He was the standard bearer. And so they knew if they were going to have any success at all at getting their message out, they would have to tear him down. And so they began a campaign of lies. What were some of the lies they told? Some of the lies they told were that Paul wasn't qualified. He really wasn't an apostle, certainly didn't have the credentials. He might be even embezzling money. Some of the so-called Me Too movement that goes on today was uh, insinuated against Paul. They said he wasn't apostolic enough. He wasn't confrontational enough. And if that wasn't enough, in spite of all that, that the Holy Spirit said there was one particular person who was so demonized that he was hell-bent, or she, was hell-bent on taking out Paul. In fact, they don't say the gender. They just say this person was a messenger of Satan. Well, I tell you what, man, Paul was in a, was battling. But for 18 months, he was faithful. He got the job done. When he felt like things were sufficient and he 
had to move on, knew it wasn't perfect, but he knew he couldn't stay there forever, so he leaves. He goes on to another area. And as soon as he left, these people jump at the opportunity, these evil speakers, and they say, we are going we to get these people, we're going to get our message out there. And they began to tear down his message. I watched some men tearing a building down, a group of men in my hometown. With a heave and a hoe and a mighty yell, they swung the ball and a side wall fell. And I said to the foreman, are these men skilled? The type of hire you'd want to build? And he smiled and laughed and said, no indeed. Common laborer is all I need. For we can tear down in a day or two what it took a builder years to do. As I turned, I shook my head and I knew there was a truth in what he said. And I thought to myself as I walked away, which of these roles am I going to play? Am I a builder as I work with care, measuring life by the rule and square? Am I shaping my deeds to a well-laid plan, carefully doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker as I walk the town, content with the labor of tearing down? These evil people were people who were tearing down the ministry and the church. It was just awful. That is just a small summary of what is going on in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, doctrinal, powerful, he is just laying it on the line. 2 Corinthians, frankly, he opens his heart up, says things he doesn't even want to say, but the Holy Spirit is there, and he begins to defend himself. Here he is saying, where do I find comfort when I'm being so attacked? How do I find encouragement in the midst of all of this? Now, Paul's story is not yours. Maybe you've never been attacked like that. Maybe you never will be attacked like that. But you will be discouraged. Everybody gets discouraged. We have discouragement in our home. We have discouragements in our health. We have discouragements in our finances or in relationships. The fact is, all of us get discouraged and stressed. And so this series is how to find the encouragement of God the God of all comfort. There are seven factors that I want to speak of. First of all, the beginning of comfort. The beginning of comfort. And in verse 3, we find the origin, the fountainhead, the ground zero of encouragement. Where does encouragement begin? Now, some people say, I have a little bit of comfort food. Others say, I, I go to an old... Uh, movie and that's my comfort and others have a place they go to paul said ground zero for me is verse three look at it blessed be god blessed be god all comfort begins with the blessing of god praising god now this is not just a general sense of feeling good nothing wrong with that it is not just a general sense of being a positive person. Again, which is a good thing. I must say, I think we all could work a little more at being a positive person. Researchers estimate that 
we think between 50,000, I was surprised at this, 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. I had no idea. 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day and that 80% of those are negative. We say things to ourselves like I can't do that or I don't like that or I 80% of our thoughts are negative. If you've ever just kind of watched the things you've said, have you ever tape recorded yourself or maybe put yourself on a voice mem memo and say, boy, do I sound like that? Well, I'll tell you what you do sometimes, just kind of let an hour go by of you talking. And you might be surprised how many statements that we make that are actually negative. Frankly, we make a lot of statements that are negative. Did you know that every negative statement actually affects us physically? It affects our hormones, it affects our mind, our emotions. And so um, we should work on being a positive person. But that's not what Paul was talking about. He wasn't saying, I wake up and I get encouragement by being positive. No, he said, I get encouragement by blessing God. We often hear there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who see the glass half full and those who see the world is half empty. The glass is half empty. One wise guy said, I believe there's actually another. And that's the negative thinker who complains that it wasn't bottled water. <laughs> and uh, the truth is all of us, you know, have, I think, a negative uh, preset that we all go through. But look at this verse. Comfort starts with a verbal affirmation at the goodness of God. Let me say that again. All comfort begins with a verbal affirmation at the goodness of God. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. Notice it is God, he says. He says the word God. The most forgotten word in the English language. God. Nobody says the name God anymore. Nobody says it in schools. Nobody says it at work anymore. And certainly nobody says it in government. In fact, about the only place you hear the name God outside of church and good homes is that when some wild terrorist talks about God is great or something. Tragically, God's name has been removed from the public arena. And it's even, even any vestige, even any statue reminding us of God. In this woke world that we live in, they are now even taking statues of Jesus and throwing them in the river. Somehow, that, in this woke world, that makes it okay. Folks, what a sad thing that, that we have, that people are just getting rid of God wherever they are. But Paul, up front, said God. You know when someone says it's a beautiful day, say, God's given us a great day, hasn't it? Isn't God good? Use the name God in your daily life, every day, with your family, with people around you, whether they're lost or whether they're born-again Christians. Just use the name God. Paul up front said, every bit of encouragement comes from God. Look at this verse here. Verse number three, he starts by saying, yes, all comfort comes from God. Blessed be God. Now, how does he identify God? What God is he talking about? Is it any God? What God is he blessing? 
What God is he praising? He doesn't join in with the liberal mindset that says, really doesn't make any difference what God you talk about as long as you're a good person. Notice he identifies God. Bless God. Just so you know who we're talking about, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not talking about Buddha. We're not talking about so-and-so or so-and-so. No, we are talking about the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the biblical God. The biblical God revealed incarnate in Jesus Christ. Meaning, here is what the Holy Spirit was reminding us, God the Father and God the Son are the same in essence. Whatever the Father is, the Son is. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 18, the Holy Spirit could not have put it more clearly. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared it. Nobody sees God because He is a spirit. But when you see the person of Christ in the Gospels, then you do see God. In John chapter 14, Jesus was with His disciples after the so-called Last Supper. Judas is gone. He's gone to do his deed. His faithful co-laborers are devastated at the thought of losing their beloved Savior. And so he comforts Thomas and Philip and Jude. And he tells them, before you know it, you're going to be in heaven. You're going to be face to face with God. You're going to be face to face with me. Because the Father and myself are the same. Look what he says in John 14 verse 7. If he had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, when you get to heaven, you'll know him. And because you have seen him, because you've seen me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Don't worry, friends. You're going to spend eternity with God. In John chapter 5, our Savior, sadly, has to take time out from ministering and blessing and healing, encouraging people to deal with some people that are... Um, against him and against the word of God, some Jewish uh, false teachers doubting his credentials. Jesus said in John 5, verse 17, what God does, I do. Look what he says specifically. Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. My father is at work in the world. That means I am at work in the world. They were like, what are you saying? Are you intimating that somehow you and the God are the same? And he was saying, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And so they switched gears on him. They said, you're a Sabbath breaker. Partially true, he was. Jesus defended breaking the Sabbath wisely. He said, um, just so you know, God can break the Sabbath because he made the Sabbath. And since I and my father are one, then it's okay. Now, that didn't go over real well. But the fact I'm saying here is that the apostle Paul, he blesses God, but not just any God. He blesses the God of the Bible who has revealed himself in God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that is the heart of the Christian faith. 
If you do not understand that or at least receive it this morning, no matter what else you believe, you cannot be a Christian. Jesus is God. He's not just a great prophet. He's not just a good man. He is God who came in the form of man, shed his blood so that we could have eternal life. That is the basis of comfort. Here's what Paul is saying. He is saying, basically, you can't have comfort unless you know God. And you can't know God unless you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. That's where comfort comes from. And then notice, he clearly identifies Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 3. Jesus is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in those three terms, he identifies the complete redemptive work of our Savior, which is the basis for any encouragement. Lord, he is sovereign deity. Jesus, that's the would be the closest thing to the actual name of God the Son because it speaks of his shed blood. It means a savior of people. Jehovah saves is actually what it means. And then Christ, which means anointed one, or that everything that Jesus did fulfilled every prophecy in the Old Testament. He is Lord, sovereign. He is savior. Yes, he is. He is Messiah. Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. And then he gives two titles for the God that gives comfort. Notice what it says in verse 3. This God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Both of these are taken from the Old Testament. Now the Holy Spirit could have given us any one of the many myriad names of God. There's about three to four hundred names of God, specific names or titles. And then when there's different um, variations, there's almost a thousand names, titles, and variations of God. That's because you can't just say God and put it all in one word because he's so multifaceted. First of all, the father of mercies, the fountainhead, the beginner, the father of all mercy is Jesus Christ, the God of mercy. Paul said, I want to tell you something. I am as serious as I can be in my ministry. I give it all I can. I'm sincere. I do. I work at it. But I'm thankful that God is a God of mercy because I'm sure I don't always get it right. David had the same feeling in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 14. Some of David's last recorded words as he was speaking to Gad the prophet. There were some difficult, tough choices that were having to be made. And David said to Gad, I am in a great strait. I want to fall into the hand of the Lord. Why? Because his mercies are great. Let me not fall into the hand of man. Micah, that great Old Testament minor prophet, boldly told Israel, you have sinned. I'm telling you, this is just sorry. But I'm thankful to announce to you that God is a God of mercy. Micah chapter 7 and verse number 8. Who is a God like unto thee? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. David, with all of his ups and downs, said there's one thing about the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 156. Great are your tender mercies. Great are the mercies of the Lord. Full and rich and beautiful and amazing. And so the first phrase, the first title that 
Paul said, if you want comfort, then go to the God of comfort because he is a God of mercy, the father of mercy. And then it says he is the God of all comfort. All comfort comes from him. He's the God of all comfort. Now, what is it that you, uh, makes you feel comfortable? Is it a nice soft bed? I tell you what, the older I get, I sure love those soft beds. I like uh, soft shoes. I kind of have uh, adopted that. A soft uh, overstuffed chair that gives you a little support. And man, I like a soft chair. Maybe sitting in your lawn chair, your lawn's all done. You don't have anything else to do, you know. You're just sitting there. Maybe the barbecue's going. What is it that makes you feel comfortable? Well, Paul is saying here that the God of all comfort is where I get my comfort. God is not saying he wants us to have a comfortable life. That's not the comfort we're talking about. Even though all those things are nice and when it happens, praise the Lord for them. What he's saying here is that we need encouragement. And that's what the word comfort is. The word comfort there is the word for having courage, having strength. God wants us to be encouraged. God has given us encouragement so that we will be strong, happy, vibrant Christians. Sour, unhappy, crabby Christians never touch lives unless you're Jonah and then you get a pass on that. But uh, the fact of the matter is if we want to be a blessing to this world, then we've got to be encouraged. That's the purpose for encouragement. You remember that great repentance song, Psalm 51 verse 12? Remember what David said? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. God, I want joy. I need you to restore my joy. Have you lost your joy? Just pray for it. God, restore the joy of my salvation. The fact that I'm saved, the fact that I'm born again. God, restore my joy. And then a last part of this prayer. Uphold me with thy free spirit. That's a prayer I pray often on Sundays especially. God, help me to have freedom as I preach. Give me a free spirit. And then, what's going to happen when I get joy? Look at verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted. Folks, sour, dour, discouraged Christians never make a difference. But when I have the joy of the Lord and I have happiness, then I can make a difference. Look what Isaiah said in the 49th chapter, verse 13. We're talking about that God was the God of comfort. Oh, earth, this is a great reminder of God's comfort. Break forth into joyful shouting. Why? Because the Lord has comforted his people. And that's where my comfort comes from. And will have compassion on his afflicted. Jesus, in the final moments of his earthly ministry, in John chapter 14. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. Hallelujah. God has given us comfort this morning. God, the Holy Spirit, is our comforter. Now look at verse 4. Back to verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's reaffirm where that comfort comes from. Look at verse 4 who comforts us in all our tribulation. God comforts. God is the one who gives encouragement. God is the joy bringer. 
God is the one who brings happiness in our life. It is his nature. It is his promise. He will always be there for us. He brings comfort through his name. He brings comfort through his peace. Paul was saying here, I'm telling you what, I have no idea why I'm encouraged. All these people are saying everything. People are attacking my ministry. And yet I have found comfort in God. And notice what it says. I have found comfort in all my tribulation. The word tribulation there is the word for pressure. I have found the comfort of God in my stress, in my tribulation. Do you feel stressed? Find comfort in God. Do you find yourself feeling overwhelmed? Find comfort in God. Notice what it says, in all stress, in all tribulation, no matter what, God is the comfort giver. There was a lecturer once giving advice on stress management. He raised a glass of water and he asked the audience, he said, how heavy do you think this single glass of water is? The students answered ranged from, well, 12 ounces, 14, up to about 24 ounces. Actually, he said, it does not matter the actual weight. What matters is how long you hold that glass of water. You hold it for a minute, no problem. You hold it for an hour, stretched out, you're going to have a sore arm. If you hold it for a day, they're probably going to have to call the ambulance for you. Why? Because it is not the weight, but it's how long you hold it. In this lecture, he was trying to encourage these workers to let go of their problems there at the work for that day, leave them at the job and go home, get refreshed and come back the next day. But I think that's a good point for us. Folk, we don't have to carry that weight. You'd say, well, it's not a big stress. It's a, just a little tribulation, folks. It's not how heavy it is. It's how long we carry it. You carry something for a day, for a week, for a month, for years, it can get big, huge. That's why Paul said, the first thing I do, I go to the God of comfort, who carries my weight. I just put it on him. It's amazing. The beginning of all comfort I've found is God. That's his name. It's through his son. It's through salvation. When I got born again, it came with the package, a ability to find comfort in God. Now, the beginning of the comfort, it's God. Now, number two, the basis of all comfort. Look at verse four. The basis of all comfort. What is the objective behind God giving us comfort? Who comforts us in all our tribulation? That, there's the transitional word in that whole verse. That, God comforts me. He's the only one that can. Some people go to the bottles. Some people go to the drugs. Some people go to the movies. Some people go to the comfort food. He said, I go to God. Then when God comforts me, I am able to comfort others which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God, here Paul said, look, the reason for my encouragement is so that I can be a blessing to others. Folks, encouragement is a sacred trust. Do you feel encouraged today? Do you feel blessed? Do you feel like you're going to make it? Do you feel... You know, like, praise God, 
we can get through this. Do you feel that way? Did you know that's not for you? Did you know that's for somebody else? God didn't give you that feeling just so you can have this sense of well-being. I mean, he's glad for it, and we appreciate it, of course. We're thankful for it. But that means we're supposed to share that. We're supposed to look for somebody. Somehow, some way, God wants us to pass it on. Paul said, I get it. The reason all these crazy people are attacking me and attacking my ministry and attacking all this is so that I can find the comfort of God. In turn, I can then comfort others. My comfort is to make me a comforter. That's what God wants us to do. Every Christian, in that sense, is called into the ministry. And that's what Paul says later in this same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. He reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He reconciled himself to us by Jesus Christ and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Every day I wake up, my job is I'm in the ministry. Let's see who I can be a blessing to. Now, I know you might imagine that I get up on Sunday morning, Pauline does, and we pray and we say, Lord, make us a blessing. But that's not just my job on Sunday. That's your job. You ought to wake up on Sunday and say, God, make me a blessing. I want to enter into the ministry of reconciliation. There's somebody today that I want to shake their hand. There's, and that's one of the problems I have with the online ministry. I love it. And I know for those who have medical problems, we're there for you. We'll keep it going. But friends, it's not just about your safety. It's not just about your joy and just about your peace. God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And, and you can come and still just be about us. You come real quick, leave real fast. It's all about me. Folks, it's not just about me. God has given us a ministry. Young, old, we need to minister to others. And that's why Paul said, he said, I'm just God's conduit. I've been humiliated. I've been betrayed. I've been harassed. I've been hurt. And yet I see this all as God's means of making me a blessing. There were four boys, all brothers, walking along the banks of a stream, playing as they went. And like most boys, the idea of fun was to get as close to danger as they possibly could. Predictably, one of them fell into the deep water, and he could not swim. His brother wanted to rescue him, lingered for a moment, and then plunged in, got a hold of him. But he couldn't bring him up that steep bank. The other brother, not able to swim at all, held on to a nearby branch, stretched his body out, his whole length, grabbed the swimming brother who had latched on to the brother who was drowning. Finally, all three were brought safe to land. They all began, when they came home, they all began to tell father about what was going on. He said, now let me listen to what's happening. So he turned to the oldest brother. He said, when your brother fell into the river, what did you do to rescue him? He said, well, dad, be honest. I was paralyzed with fear. I didn't want to do it, but I realized I probably was the only one. So I jumped in, 
But then I realized I couldn't get up that bank and we were in danger of drowning. And so he looked at the second older brother and said, what did you do? He said, well, I knew I couldn't get into the water at all, but I stretched out there and I grabbed them both and we were able to get to land. And then he looked at the youngest brother, a little four-year-old brother, and he said, well, what did you do when they were all doing this? He said, Daddy, I couldn't do anything. And so all I could do was stand on the bank, clap my hands, and shout, good job, good job, good job. The grateful father said, well done, all four of you. Now, folks, in some of our cases, because of resources, because of our health, maybe because of our time or energy or whatever, we can't do a whole lot other than simply clap our hands and say, good job, good job. But all of us can do that. That is a ministry of comfort. God wants us to minister and say to the musicians and say to those who do so much work around here, the custodians and the grounds and everybody who goes out and witness, I mean, in our school and around this world to go out there and be a blessing. Our Lord's words to Peter in Luke chapter 22, in foreknowledge, he knew what Peter was about ready to go through. He knew he was going to go through the temptation of Satan. It was powerful. But he knew he would make it. Look at verse 31. And the Lord said to Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And let me just remind you that if you're here today and if you have a witness for Christ, and the brighter your witness, the more Satan wants to desire you, to sift you and to break you and to, and to drown you and to make your life a, a wreck. But notice, thank God for the promise. Verse 32. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. One thing I can tell you, you will never lose your salvation. And when you are converted, and he did convert. Peter wept bitterly as an indication of his repentance. Now notice what Jesus said. After you come back from this mess, I want you to know. You need to strengthen the brethren. Do it for others. Do it for others. Don't save it for the funeral. An elderly man lay dying in his bed. Suddenly smelled the aroma of his favorite chocolate chip cookies wafting up the stairs. He gathered what remaining strength he had, lifted himself up from the bed, leaning against the wall slowly, made his way out of the bedroom, down the stairs, gripping the railing with both hands. With labored breath, he leaned against the doorframe, gazing into the kitchen, and were it not for death's agony, would have thought himself in heaven itself, because there, spread out on the kitchen table, were hundreds of his favorite chocolate chip cookies all still warm. Was this heaven or was this one final act of heroic love from his devoted wife? Seeing to it that he left this world a happy man. Mustering one great final effort, he threw himself towards the table. His aged and withered hand slowly trembling as he made its way to the cookie at the edge of the table. 
When with that, his wife suddenly smacked his hand with a spatula and said, stay out of those. Those are for the funeral. (laughs) Don't save it for the funeral. Don't save that compliment for the funeral. Tell them now. Notice one final act. Look at verse 4. We are comforted wherewith ourselves are comforted of God. God said the source of comfort, the reason for comfort, it all goes back to God. I remember the tragic suicide, some of you probably too young to remember, of one of America's most funniest entertainers, not always the cleanest, but Robin Williams. He was a brilliant entertainer. And yet the sad reality of a suicide is that those who make us laugh are often the most troubled. They can make others laugh, but they themselves have no comfort in themselves. I know therapy is a big thing today. Lots of people are going to therapy. Others take drugs to soothe their battered minds. Should God use therapy? Amen. Should God choose to use the drugs? So be it, and amen. But you need to know this. It is not the drugs, and it's not therapy. If I get any comfort, any encouragement, it will always come from God. He is the source of our comfort. There are three biblical reasons why today I am encouraged. Number one, God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne, despite how crazy, absolute lunacy. I mean, the stuff that I hear almost daily is like, this is not even nuts. This is lunatic. I mean, the... I heard the other day there's five genders now. I mean, they keep growing. Like, really? That's lunacy. Now, folks, despite all the craziness, folks, I want you to know, God has not thrown up his hands and abdicated his throne. Look what it says in Psalm 47, verse 8. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. God is still in charge. I saw a bumper sticker not long ago. Well-meaning, I'm sure. God is my co-pilot. Let me just say today, if God is your co-pilot, you need to swap seats. <laughs> and you need to let him be the pilot. In fact, just get on out of the car. Let's just let him take care of it. Because he is on his throne. God is high and lifted up. You say, it's crazy out there today. Yep, but thank God, God is still on the throne. Number two. God said this is the age of apostasy. Why should we be surprised? I mean, some people, and that's why some of these folks on TV, bless their heart, I know they've got all this cotton candy and sugar stuff they want to tell you. But folks, you need to know something. That is not the course of this age. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, when his disciples asked about how this was going to end up, he said, well, It's going to be an increase of lawlessness. Are you hearing me? An increase of lawlessness. The Antifa and others are going to go wacko. And he said, as a result, the love of many will wax cold. And that's the biggest tragedy. That's why the Apostle Paul told Pastor Tim, he said, you tell the people, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, they need to know this, that in the last days, perilous times, Not the happiest times we've ever had. People say, oh, it's terrible. Well, these are the last days. 
That doesn't mean that we can't have encouragement. Doesn't mean we can't have joy. Can't mean we can't have a, a joy, a fun, and happiness. God's on the throne. That is the age that we're in, the age of apostasy. And finally, number three, God wins. Matthew 24, verse 14. Here's what Jesus promised. Yes, it's going to be a time of lawlessness. But look what's going to happen. The gospel is going to be proclaimed throughout the world. A great testimony to the saving grace of our great God. Then the end will come. Folks, these are great and glorious times to be alive. Strap in and hold on. And like Paul said, don't throw away your confidence. This is a great season to be alive. A man approached a little league baseball game one afternoon and asked the boy in the dugout, what is the score? The little boy responded, 18 to nothing. We're behind. Wow, said the spectator. I bet you're discouraged. He said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> and folks, that's what I say this morning. Folks, you haven't seen nothing yet. I'm telling you, you've not seen nothing what God has planned for this old world. There is no better time to believe, no better time to be baptized, and no better time to belong. We're going to have our new members class here in a couple of weeks. And folks, I'm just telling you, this is the best time of all to get in and believe and to be baptized and to belong to a local church. The power of commitment. We say that belonging brings blessings. Why? Because it's the power of commitment. You'd say, well, I don't really need church membership for myself. Maybe not, but maybe you do. Maybe more than you think. But I will tell you this. Even if that was the truth, you didn't need it for yourself. Somebody else needs you. Our daughter Abigail is a NICU nurse in San Joaquin uh, or at uh, St. Joseph's Hospital. She tells us of what she can and some of the things that are happening there. And wow, what a pressure packed, uh, what a sad, sometimes happy situation there. She will validate what I, story I read. In 1995, twin girls, Kyrie and Brielle, were born prematurely, weighing only two pounds each. They were watched over very carefully as those nurses do, each in their own respective incubators. Kyrie began to put on weight immediately, but Brielle struggled. She cried, cried, leaving her gasping and blue-faced. They wrapped her in blankets. They did one procedure after another. The mother held her. The father held her. The nurse held her. Nothing seemed to help. Finally, a hospital nurse fought against the rules and placed both babies in the same incubator. When they were placed, those little twin girls, in the same incubator, the healthier of the two reached over her arm and laid it on her sister. It was the most endearing and precious of embrace. Almost immediately, 
The frantic crying stopped. Brielle's normal pinkish color returned. Her heart rate stabilized. Her temperature rose back to normal. Friends, this world is, uh, this world is, a, is, is destroyed and being destroyed. We need each other. We need encouragement. We need to reach out and touch somebody's life. This is never a better time than now than to get in, serve God, give Him your best. I pray that you will. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The God of all comfort. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.